Welcome to Your Pathways to Wealth, where Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances. Together, they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life. Join Charlie and Peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned. Now, let's talk wealth. Why do we do what we do when it comes to money? Behavioral finance is a fascinating subject, and financial advisors need to understand it. Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian do understand it, and that's one reason they work with their clients as behavior investment consultants. All right, gentlemen, are you suggesting that we human beings have investing biases? <laughs> Not at all. None of us think... <laughs> None of us have a bias. Well, there are certainly biases we don't really talk about with our clients, such as political or religious. Uh, smart, those, very smart. Ignore those biases. But I think there really are so many biases when it comes to investing. And those are the conversations that we like to have with our clients and really need to have with our clients to make them what we believe um, have the most successful investment experience possible. You have then a, a six-step plan here or six principles that you followed. Talk to me about your philosophical practice first. Yeah, again, it, it all goes back to our, our real belief, and it's always been that the dominant determinant of long-term real-life investment returns is the behavior of the investor himself or herself. And this is a concept that we really try to get across to our clients, especially when we first meet them as a prospect, because people tend to think, well, I picked the wrong stock. I got in at the wrong time. I had the wrong investor, uh, wrong advisor. Some of that matters, but it matters very little compared to the variables that we can control. And conceptually, we focus our time and energy on those variables we control and what we feel have the most profound effect on long-term real-life returns. And when we break down those variables, there really are six. And, and three of the principles are grounded in the belief system of the investor, and three practices are carried out within the portfolio itself. And, and Patrice, when we look at those three uh, grounded in the belief of the investor themselves, the three that we look at, it's faith in the future. I mean, think about it. You really can't be a pessimist to be a successful investor, because if you're waiting for the next shoe to drop, you know how could you how could you have the patience and discipline mm -hmm, to true. be a long term investor, and and when you think about like, you know how do we help our clients have faith in the future? Well, just think about back in 1970, and and we talk about this a lot. You know Apollo 13, they had hardly any computing um, power. If they did, maybe they would they could have helped prevented that that um, um, rocket ship from spaceship from blowing up. And you think about our phones today, how much computing power we have in our phones based in 1970, it's gotten a million times smaller and a million times cheaper and a thousand times more powerful. And now you have AI. So so you have to have faith in the future when you think about where we've come just from 1970, when we talk about you know what, what NASA had access to and where we are today when you look at your phone and AI. So faith in the future, we believe, is a huge proponent um, to the belief factor of a successful investor. And in that, you mentioned patience. Talk to me about patience. Patience is the second variable, we believe. I mean, people get just impatient. We're in the world of instant gratification. We want it today. 
We, you know, we want our stock to go up 40 points today. We don't want to wait three years for that. But in 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 everything in life and investing, the more patience we have, the more successful we will be. And we need to understand it takes patience to be a successful investor. It just does not happen overnight. And and a big part of that has to do with who we're surrounded by and what we're surrounded by. Because if we really think about it, we watch the media, right? We turn the TV on, the news, um, listen to the radio, and we always feel as if either we're missing out on something or we're not doing something we should be doing. And that even starts to amplify when we speak to some of our friends and colleagues who are either you know making money on an individual stock um, or just getting out of the market completely. And what we found is that many times that's actually the worst thing one can can do or approach that they can take. Hmm. Well, then this leads me to your third principle here, discipline. Discipline in life, in, in everything we do, it's such a key component um, of the success of an individual investor. Uh, and, and when you look at, when you think about discipline, it really does fall into patience because as the markets are going up and down, you can't get either um, overexcited about a bull market or over fearful in a bear market. It's the discipline. And we always tell our clients, it's the discipline of our philosophy that dictates our moves. It's not the it's not the directions of the market. We're agnostic. It's not what we read or hear um, from from you know guys like Jim Cramer. It's, we're agnostic to that, but it's the discipline and the more you're able to follow the discipline, as long as you believe in that philosophy, the more successful you will be. So it's those three those three principles in the belief system of the investor. Again, the faith in the future, patience, and discipline is where we try to start the conversation with clients that are newly introduced to us. And that having been said, it's a wonderful, wonderful list of principles here, but how do you instill it in the client? It's a great question. And and it is it's a matter of repeating, repeating, repeating. <laughs> yes. it, 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 there's no other way. You know, how many times have I told my you know kids to put something away in their drawers, right? And I have to say it a hundred <laughs> times before they actually do it. Um, sometimes with clients, uh, it's the same thing. When Peter and I sit the, with a client, the first thing we try to remind them, you know, let's not look at the market. How are you reacting? <laughs> How are you reacting to the market? Let's talk about that. Are you? Do you believe in the patience that we've talked about to be successful? So we really reinstill and reinforce those three um, variables early on and often in conversations with our clients. But having said that, Patrice, it's still not an easy task. <laughs> yeah, and and what we found is that the longer the markets are going up, the more difficult it is actually to keep you know. Clients fairly, you know, within a certain lane, as as we mm -hmm. would say, and so you know, when you have markets going up for a year or two years, that's one thing. But when it's you know extended five, six, or seven years in a row, you know, people tend to get a lot more confident, and they start to do things that maybe they normally should not be doing, and taking additional risks. And you know, the perception may not feel as if they're taking that risk at the time, but as we all know, when the markets turn the other way. The first asset classes to go down are the one or the riskiest ones, and that's exactly bringing me to my next question, Peter. Yes, the market goes up, 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 up. They get a little squirrely with their their patience, their discipline, and their faith, and then the market drops. 
what happens then? No. So, so again, it, 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 it all depends right on, on how well prepared one is. And so we're, we're big proponents in preparing our clients for um, those types of sequences or occurrences that happen within the markets themselves. Um, the one last thing that we don't want a client to do is to take on a, additional, let's say debt or take on additional expenses and feel overconfident when the assets that they may have owned, as I had just previously mentioned, and taken on that additional risk, now all of a sudden they're buying, you know, another home or or a new car. And all of a sudden, you know, that asset that just shot up just because they were willing to take a little bit of risk now went all the way back down and now they're stuck, right, with a, a debt load. Mm-hmm. And, and Patricia, you know, another part, you asked the question, how do we keep our clients kind of on track? And I think another big part of what we do, we really won't take on a client unless they're willing to develop a plan. Because again, without a plan, what are we doing? So when the markets go down, we remind them, let's go back to the plan. Has this changed our plan? Has this changed the direction of our plan? Just like when the market's going up, you know, again, Sometimes we need to curtail their enthusiasm because, as Peter said, we may take on too too much risk that will derail us from the plan. So everything we do starts with a plan that's that's defined by the goals of the investor. And I don't mean the goals are buying a second home or buying a car, but I have a I have a number I need to reach to retire and retire comfortably. Everything else doesn't matter. Markets up, markets down. It's really irrelevant. As long as doing everything possible to get you to your number, that's where the focus always is maintained. So you have a goal, then you have a plan, and then you've got the portfolio. And that brings us to the next three points. The first one is, this is so important. It's asset allocation. And and that word is loosely thrown around. And we will see prospects that will bring in you know, 300 pages of statements from a major brokerage firm. And they say, look how diversified I am. I have 300 pages. Yeah, but those 300 pages, you all have the same stuff. You have Mm. 10 mutual funds that all own Microsoft, that all own Google, that all own Facebook. That's not, diversification doesn't come in the number of funds you own. It comes in the number of stocks or individual companies that you own. So when we build a portfolio, we own about three to 4,000 stocks in our portfolio that some are small, some are large, value, growth, international. So the first the first important element um, of the discipline or the asset allocation is making sure we truly understand what asset allocation is and then illustrating how we build a portfolio that's asset allocated well. Peter? Yeah, again, I totally agree. You know, one one thing that some clients may do or even individuals that we meet is they'll always ask, well, you know, what did the portfolio do versus the S&P? And, and Charlie mm-hmm. and I will always, you know, look at ourselves and say, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to the S&P because number one, if you want to be in the S&P, you have to be willing to accept that the market can come down at any given point in time, meaning your portfolio rather, uh, a drawdown of roughly 50%. And most clients are not comfortable with that, especially as they are in retirement. And for us, a big focus is getting our clients to really get to a point where they say, I don't care. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, they have their friends who are making money temporarily, let's say, in an individual stock, or they're buying something that maybe they shouldn't be. But when a client really comes back and internalizes that and say they say to themselves, you know what, I really don't care what they're doing. What I care about is what I'm doing, not only for myself, but for my family. 
And with the guidance of, of you know, a, a good group of advisors, now all I'm focused in on is how do I achieve my goals and how am I getting there? And not worrying about what everybody else is doing. Wow. If you can get a client to come in and tell you, I don't care what the other guy is doing, that's quite <laughs> an accomplishment. It takes a long, long time. <laughs> we're still we're still waiting for that client. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's especially in markets that we're in right now. What's going on? What are they doing? What are they doing? Everybody's second guessing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. All right. So we've got as- asset allocation. You mentioned diversification too, Charlie. Talk about that. Yeah. Asset allocation and diversification, not that they go hand in hand, but they certainly complement one another. So once we allocate it between stocks and bonds and small cap and large, it's a matter of how many stocks within each of those asset classes that we own. I read an interesting article this weekend in the Wall Street Journal, which even surprised me and in studies they've done that since 1960, only 4.3% of all U.S. stocks contributed to the market gains from 1960 to 2016, only 4.3% of U.S. stocks. That's amazing. So that truly is amazing. I was actually, I said, Peter, I'm I'm surprised by this. And 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 you know, as much as we realize diversification is important, this really magnifies it, because if you're working with an active manager that picks three or four stocks, I mean. To, to find one of those 4.3% yeah. of stocks, let's say finding a needle in a huge haystack. So unless you build a diversified portfolio, as I mentioned before, as, as we do with four to 5,000 stocks, the chances of success, you've just limited by looking at an active manager by picking a few stocks by yourself and thinking you found the next great stock. It's so very difficult to do that. And Patrice, it's it's really important to, to understand what, what, true asset allocation and diversification is because we'll come across you know new clients who will have you know 15 or 20 different mutual funds right or ETFs and they feel they're truly diversified and have an asset allocation in place but when we peel back the layers we look at and analyze and we come back to them and show them our analysis what we'll find is that the vast majority of their holdings all own the same exact thing or, or the majority of the same thing. You know, all their top 10 holdings are practically the same. And so from our perspective, it's more a matter of truly helping them understand and truly creating that asset allocation um, in, and structure in place. Then talk to me about rebalancing, your sixth point. This is so vitally important. And so few clients and even advisors do this within a portfolio. So when you have, let's say, hypothetically, we work with a prospect and and we'll keep it real simple. For the purpose of this client's needs, risk tolerance, time horizon, and all things that factor into building a portfolio, the right portfolio for this client is 50% equities and 50% bonds. Well, that's a risk tolerance that this client has accepted and an expected return that they've accepted based on all those factors that I mentioned. Well, now let's say we have an excellent year in the stock market. Now, all of a sudden, the equity portion of the portfolio is 60 or 70%. Mm-hmm. Now we have a portfolio that's so much more aggressive than the client agreed to or wanted, or it could go the other way. Let's say stocks have a really bad year and bonds outperform, and now we're overweighted in bonds. So again, the goal of rebalancing is to keep risk consistent based on what the client is achieving and what his goals and what his risk tolerance are. The other factor is you know, so many people let 
returns just go wild, run up, and they never harvest the gains. So they watch a portfolio really run up just to come back down in the bear market. By rebalancing, those things are are avoided. And that's why rebalancing is just so important. And, and it even plays an even bigger role um, as one is in retirement and drawing income because it come, becomes somewhat counterintuitive. You know, Some of the income does come from the growth of the portfolio. So when the markets are doing well, one would say, well, why am I selling or taking mm-hmm. you know, some of the profits from equities that are actually doing well? Um, but that doesn't make sense, right? If, if you think about it from their perspective um, or vice versa, when the markets are coming back down, um, similar to what we saw last year and selling some of their more stable assets, right? Their short-term bonds, their treasuries. Because if you think about it, why would you sell equities that are depressed versus having an opportunity to pull from the asset classes that are holding the best during that period of time. So it becomes somewhat counterintuitive, but that's what we are here for to help guide our clients throughout that. Do clients ever ask you questions like this or do they simply sit back and say, it's your responsibility, go for it? We have we have both. I mean, certainly there are some clients that are more um, engaged on that side of it and want to be. Um, But the vast majority of our clients feel, you know what, the reason why we are working with a team um, such as yours is because we don't want to deal with that. We want to spend time with our family. We want to go, you know, golfing, fishing, or or just do, um, you know, whatever. And so from that standpoint, it really depends on the individual. And, and I and I do think because um, we don't get a lot of those questions after a while because we keep it very simple. And the six variables we just spoke about, everybody can understand them. Faith in the future, patience, discipline, asset allocation, diversification, and rebalancing. We don't come at them with this elaborate, sexy names that people really get confused about and don't understand. As we always say, investing is is easy. It's just not always simple, or it's simple and not always easy, depending on the markets. But that's why we keep it very simple in terminology that anyone can understand, whether, again, you're just starting out or it's someone that came to us with $10 million and now they're looking to preserve for the next 20 or 30 years of retirement. That's fantastic, guys. All of this, uh, the six points you've got here, the principles, the work within the portfolio, the goal, the plan, the portfolio itself. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we do? No, I think to your point, I think these are questions that investors should start asking to understand the philosophy. So many clients come in and say, give me your returns. And Peter mentioned this. It's so irrelevant. And that's the wrong question to ask. But investors need to understand why that's the wrong question to ask. And they need to start digging, dig down deeper to understand the philosophy, because if philosophically you can't agree with your advisor or don't believe in their philosophy, the relationship will never be a successful one. And in turn, your experience will never be a successful one. So really kind of understand the questions you should be asking versus the questions that really don't matter. And feel free to ask questions. Always ask questions. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, how can listeners reach you if they've got questions to uh, pose to you? You could call us um, certainly at our office at 631-777-1030. And we'd be more than happy to have that initial conversation as well. Fantastic. Follow this podcast for more insights from Charlie and Peter. And of course, share with others you care about. 
He might just impress them as well. I'm Patrice Sikora, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Wealth Enhancement Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.